folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. Anthony Skinner here. I'm the producer of the show. Since you're a Typology listener, I know you want to become a more kind, loving, and self-aware person. But let's be honest, for many of us, most of our day is spent on autopilot, right? We act, think, and feel without questioning where those thoughts and feelings come from. And unless we uncover what's driving our behaviors, we'll keep making the same mistakes over and over again. So, how do we develop this self-awareness? Well, on November 10th at 1 p.m. Central Time, Ian is teaching a free online training called Becoming Aware, How to Love Yourself and Others Better. It's an hour-long training where you'll learn what self-awareness means the three core unconscious forces that influence your behavior and practical ways to become more self-aware. This training is only available to people on the wait list for Ian's upcoming course, Discovering You. So if you want to come, all you have to do is join the wait list. Visit typologyinstitute.com slash wait list. That's typologyinstitute.com slash wait list and sign up. All right, have we got another guest for you? Today's show is loaded for bear, as they say. We have Kayla Craig. She's a former journalist. She is a writer. She co-founded the Upside Down podcast, and she is the producer for the Sacred Ordinary Days podcast. She has a brand new book that we'll get into called To Light Their Way. It's a collection of over 100 liturgies that she has created. She's an Enneagram 8 with a hardcore seven wing. Lots of fun today. I know you're going to enjoy this podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And without any further ado, here is the host of our show, Ian Crumb. Kayla Craig, Enneagram 8 with a seven wing, author of To Light Their Way, a collection of liturgies for parents. Welcome to Typology. Woo-woo! I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited too. You are a social eight and we're going to explore that together because you are the counter type of eights. Do you know what that means? Counter type? Uh, yes, but not as well as you do. <laughs> well, well, I don't know, but let me, for the sake of our listeners, maybe just explore yes. that a little bit with you. Um, so, we have three eights, obviously. We have one-to-one eights. We have self-preservation eights. We have social eights. Uh, as is the case with all numbers, there is always one that is the upside-down counter type, okay? This is why it's so important for people to know subtypes because this type looks nothing like an eight in some ways, mm. right? Uh, yes. In fact, this type can sometimes be misidentified with a two, Mm-hmm. which blows people's minds because they're like, how could any eight, regardless of subtype, be right. mistaken with a two? Mm. But this type, the social eight, can be, all right? Mm-hmm. So now the the signifier, the name that's given to social eights, do you know what it is, Anthony? Oh, I should know this and I don't. All right, it's solidarity. Solidarity, okay. Yep. Yep. Solidarity, yeah. that's what Naranjo called them. And because they're the, the counter type, they represent the contradiction of the eight, right? Here's why. Eights typically move against social norms, okay? Um, but the social eight is also oriented toward protection and nurturing 
and loyalty, right? Those are big themes for the social eight, right? So the way that they express lust and aggression is in service to other people, okay? Now, the self-preservation eight, just for everyone's information, is the iconic eight. It's the eight that everybody thinks of, right, when they think of eights. And so when you describe the social eight, they're like, huh? Really? There's an eight like that? Right, right. You know what I mean? And, and yes. later, later on, maybe just a little teaser here, we're going to talk about the one-to-one eight because it plays into today's podcast. Yes, it does. It does indeed. So social eights are actually very sensitive to feeling out situations in which people are being oppressed or exploited or marginalized by others who hold more power. Right? You're nodding yes. your head. Does this sound I'm like I'm nodding this? like I can't do it enough. Yes. <laughs> okay. Me. That's 100% me. <laughs> so this, what? this makes sense because a lot of your friends say you can't be an eight because you look like nothing yes. like an eight that I know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So they're like, well, this person is an eight and you don't have the same personality as this person. So there's right. no way. And then it gets in your head because then I start thinking, uh, right. am I? And right. that's what subtypes really help with, right? Mm -hmm. Which is accounting for why people of the same type can look so very different. Yeah. Right? Yes. So yes. when people are having trouble identifying their type, sometimes I go, go look at the subtypes. Mm -hmm. um, because there you're going to get a nuanced picture of the different expressions of your, possibly your, your particular type. So this eight tends to be more laid back. Uh, tends to be a little bit um, less uh, angry or less explosive with anger, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't, they're not, a, it's not a sparky, you know, it doesn't come up right. super fast for this type. And they tend to rebel in ways that aren't as obvious as it is in the case of self-pres eights. Hey, let's talk about that because she just smiled. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> it. Go for it, Kayla. I'm talking too much, but I'm just trying to lay the no, groundwork here. I love it. I love it. I I like to think that I'm like quietly subversive yes. um, and, and really like in my solidarity with others. So in my writing in my life, even it's like, I have that quiet subversiveness where I might not like, you know, fight you at the dinner table, but I am going to be working in the background to take the whole system down. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we will never have Kayla over for dinner. <laughs> it would be so easy to take my system down. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Where'd Kayla go? <laughs> Hide the china. <laughs> I'm so oh seen my right gosh. Now. That is so funny. Hey, I have a question for you. Do you collect things? Do I collect things? Yes. Well, I am like a major thrifter. So I love collecting old things. Mm -hmm. I love going to estate sales and garage sales. I recently moved in to, I convinced my husband to move into a 110 year old former convent in our hometown. Wow. Ooh, and now that. I'm filling it with stuff. No way. That's <laughs> cool. Are you getting like cool religious antique stuff? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, old. I'm looking because the Sisters oh, of Mercy used to live here and I want to like pay homage to that. You know, like I love that kind of what they stood for and I mm. hope to express that hospitality and that care um, inside the walls now that our wild 
and rambunctious family lives here. That was <laughs> interesting because I, I had already noticed that your dress looks kind of vintage. Plus, you have that little thing in the background that was like old um, card catalog. Yeah, card catalogs. Yeah. Yeah, I took that from an old church. Yeah. <laughs> Without yeah. asking. <laughs> well, they weren't using it anymore. She left the Lord's Supper. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We needed more sleep last night. <laughs> this has already gone off the wheels. Where's Kayla? Where's, Where's the Kayla? car catalog? <laughs> she went to the local library. And the next thing you know, there's no card catalog. <laughs> It's uh, that quiet subversiveness. I know. Like, I'm going to smile. In action. Yeah. Well, the reason yeah. I ask is because, you know, these folks lust for projects mm. and they love collecting things. Wow. Mm. It's a very common characteristic of social eights. That's um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, an actual, I'm not making it up. That's, that's yeah. legit. It's for real. Hmm. Um, they love the group. They love the power that a group offers. Mm -hmm. And they may have trouble in individual relationships. Mm. Oh, come on. Downer. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back then. I know. <laughs> okay. And of course, like I think other eights, though, you, you tend to have a blind spot around your own needs, right? Mm. You, you yes. tend to focus on the needs of others. And oftentimes, eights will project their own needs onto other people and then take care of their own needs by taking care of the other. Mm, She's laughing. That's too yeah. real. Yes, wow. that, that, that hits. That hits in a real way. So did I leave anything out? Tell me more about your perception of social aids. Yeah, I think so. So many people had told me, I don't think you're an eight. Are you sure you're an eight? That I started to get into really into my own head. And I think at certain points in my life, I thought it was every single number under the sun, trying to figure out who am I? What are those core like vulnerabilities, those core needs, those core desires beyond mm. the like Instagram memes that everybody is sharing? Please you know? don't like, mention them. <laughs> I know. I know. We, we so, around here just, cr yes. just cringe at most of them. They're so unhelpful and they really are. Um, so anyway, I started reading Beatrice Chestnut's work, um, trying to dive deeper and deeper and deeper into that. And when I read about the subtypes and I read about the social and specifically how that affects females, it was mm. like a light bulb moment. Wow. Like there it is. That is me. And she talked about how, you know, we can make ourselves big when we need to and we stand up and stand with somebody who does not have the power, who is marginalized, mm. who is oppressed. But then there was an interview with a woman and it was like, she goes into a room and she shuts the door and she cries. Cause it's like, I don't, I don't like doing that. I will do it because if, if I don't do it and I'm not seeing anybody else do it, what's going to happen. But mm. I still feel things like super deeply have a lot of, of emotion. And um, yeah, I'm not looking to just like, fight to have a fight i'm looking to do what needs to be done to, to stand up for somebody mm. that comes out a lot in my mothering um too and what you said about like that nurturing aspect but then also like giving somebody what you need um mm. i think hits really hits really close to my heart which mm. is interesting too because when you describe that social eight it also sounds like an eight moving to two and security right doesn't it too mm do some of that yeah 
They they do, uh, and oftentimes social aids get confused with twos. Yeah. Um, as I as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. But that unconscious motivation is so different. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The underlying motivation. You know, eights. You know, a two really <clears throat> wants to be liked. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that a social eight doesn't want to be liked. But it's not driving. I mean, it's like that right. is not I'm the okay. forefront. I'm okay. Like ultimately, if you don't like me, uh, that that's gonna happen. <laughs> if you all can't see your facial, <laughs> who's the perfect meme? <laughs> <laughs> We're using it. Yeah. We're going to meme world now. <laughs> my mom is like, your face is very expressive. I'm like, for better or for worse, because my husband is a pastor, and so sometimes it's like what I'm thinking, you know, mm-hmm. and somebody's telling me something is right there. Mm. There's no mystery. Yeah. Out the window goes the stereotype of the pastor's wife. That's right. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind, demure, bringing a casserole. So Mm-mm. speaking of your pastor husband, yeah. do you want to address that at all? Yeah. So <laughs> this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. You're a social eight with a seven wing. Your husband is a one to one eight with a seven wing. What on earth is that <laughs> dynamic like? Oh, I my goodness. I just want to know. You know what? It's so... I, you know, I hesitate to say this because every relationship is different, but for us, it's very natural. Mm. It's very easy. Um, I feel like often our energy is met with each other and we can relax. Like we're, we're very relaxed. We're also like ready to go and like kind of be empire builders together in whatever it is that we're doing, especially when it comes to our family or our neighborhood or our community. But when it comes to like our interpersonal relationship with each other, it seems to be like a deep exhale for both Mm. of us. We also met very young. And so in a lot of ways, we have grown up together and kind of deconstructed, reconstructed, learned who we are beyond our families of origins. We've done all of this side by side. So I think it has really helped. Like we haven't like branched out and then tried to merge together. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I would necessarily like recommend, you know, marrying young, but for us, I think we learned um, who we are deep on a soul level um, alongside each other. All right. Now we've just kind of done a psychological examination of eights. Mm-hmm. So when you, say soul level Mm. as an eight describe the soul of an eight Mm. oh so i think so tender Mm. the soul of eight is so tender so for me nurturing um ready to rise up to defend the weak to bolster those who need it and um, I think the soul of the eight, at least for me, my soul, I really resonate with the tenderness of God. Mm. Um, and, and I also resonate with Jesus flipping tables, <laughs> you know, but, but for me, I like to picture myself as a child being comforted, you know, so much in scripture, mm. we see God as father, father, and also God as mother. Mm-hmm. And that imagery to my soul um, it feels very healing. Mm. Um, and I, and I, of course, I also love the more like stereotypical, like stand up to the powers when you need to, but for a soul connection, I feel like knowing that I am a child being taken care of by a parent. Mm. Is so what's powerful. so, what's so fascinating to me about your answer is this, you use the word child. Mm. I feel like a child 
it, that, that sort of characterizes maybe the interior atmosphere of your spirit, your soul. And of course, what do we believe to be true about children? That they're innocent. Mm. And the virtue that all eights have to move toward as part of their transformational journey is to move from lust to innocence. Mm. Right? Wow. Wow. So yeah. it's, it's the recovery really of the inner child who at some point learned that this is a might makes right world. You got to be tough, you know, whatever it is. It may be genetics, but I also think it's environmental. And so part of it is how can I mm. reclaim the innocent child who has a fundamental trust that there is someone else taking care of them and therefore they don't have to have their own back all the time. They can just trust and play on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And not yeah. take care of the world. And so yeah. what I hear you saying is that embedded in you is the <clears throat> virtue of your type that needs mm. to be reclaimed. And you've touched it a bit. Mm. That's, I mean, that's beautiful. <laughs> that, and that, that is meaningful to me because it is like, as a mother, I see the love I have for my own kids and how that expands into really children everywhere. And then I think, wow, if the divine, if God has that love for me, then like, I don't have to have the world on my shoulders. I don't mm. have to control everything because God is like, holding me or God has the love of a nursing mother, you know, like how beautiful. Mm. Okay. You, you have four kids. I do. Uh, two of whom have special needs. Yes. Two, eight parents, uh, you know, parents who like to protect uh, the marginalized, um, the, those who are, I don't want to say weaker, but who have vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm. Sounds like a natural fit. What are the challenges? Mm. I mean, the challenges are one, you, I never want to center myself as the hero. You know, a lot of times there's an adoption narrative where it's like, oh, well, your kid is so lucky or like, good for you. And it's more like, well, this is, this is a lot of trauma that this child is holding. And like, we are really fortunate to be together. And like, I am blessed to be a parent, you know, in this way. Um, I think I want to advocate to the best of my abilities. And when I see that they are not getting the services they need or the care that they need, then it can be just like the cycle or the spiral of almost like frustration or despair because I'm like, I'm shouting here, I'm standing up, I'm doing everything I can and it doesn't feel like enough sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's so funny, Anthony. I have a friend of mine <clears throat> who is a woman eight and she had, has had two jobs. She's a social worker mm -hmm. and uh, her, her first job was as uh, an adoption advocate. Oh, wow. In the, actually in the foster care system. Wow. Uh, so she would do things like, well, she would have to go and, and re she would go with the police to a house oh. where, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's two drug addicted parents mm -hmm. or there's violence and she would go with the police to get the kids. Wow. Okay. And she's a social aide. Mm. The, the mm. other, then she moved on to be an advocate in the court system oh. for people who, you know, were being uh, underserved mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the legal system. Right. 
And one of the things that she would do, I mean, it's just fascinating to me, right? Is she would track cases to see if minorities, people of color, were being given the same sentences for exact crimes that whites were. Wow. wow. And then literally would report the results to a central office wow. that would then hold the, the legal system accountable for what it was doing. Right. So there's the advocacy piece mm, that, yeah. that you're talking about. That. I mean, and God, mm. you know, God, God forbid a principal, a school system or somebody is not doing what they're supposed to do. <laughs> right. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they might lose more than a card catalog. That. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to find all the, they're, they're going to find the lunchroom missing. There's going to be a lot, a lot missing. <laughs> <laughs> all right you've got this new book to light their way uh, a collection of liturgies for parents oh another collection mm -hmm. for the social eight mm -hmm. right all right oh, now yeah so here's the deal i'm an episcopal priest so liturgics mm. liturgy and i was raised roman catholic so mm. liturgy has always played a tremendously important part of my life are you a you're a presbyterian am i right or yeah, so I grew up Presbyterian. Okay. And I've been I've been across the board mm. <laughs> denominationally, which I think has helped form for me. You know, it's like a, that collection piece of collecting these different threads of expressions of faith and finding what I resonate with um, in the body of Christ. Yeah. I can't wait to read this book. Yeah, man. Um, so so here's a question: How on earth did you get interested in liturgy? If you know, you don't come from a high church tradition like Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy or Episcopalianism. You know, like how did you end yes. up interested? Well, I think I started being drawn to this idea of a written prayer, the prayer of another. When my daughter, um, who has a lot of special needs and medical needs, was really sick, and you know, there I am advocating. I mean, I was in the hallway in the PICU. I would go to the rounds when the doctors and the nurses and the pharmacists make their rounds. I would go too. And I was like spending the night in the hospital to the point that they thought I was hospital staff. <laughs> 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 uh, but anyway, I mean, she was, she was very, very sick and very much in that thin space of, of life and death and on, on machines. Mm. And I was just exhausted. Like I didn't know what to pray. I honestly didn't know if my prayers mattered at that point if god heard them you know we had so many people saying we're praying for you we're praying for her and all i could think of was like but you weren't here when she coded you weren't here mm. when we almost lost her like where was god then where mm. is god in all of these other rooms when nobody knows you know what's going to happen mm. and i got um a very small book of prayers and that felt like a, a lifeline offered to me of like you don't have the words to pray take mine. And so coming through that experience and, and, you know, still wrestling very much with my own prayer of why hasn't God answered my prayer about her walking? Why hasn't God answered my prayer about her being able to talk? Um, you know, being able to hold on to something very tangible and knowing mm -hmm. that somebody else has prayed this prayer. Somebody else has walked through the fire and might still be walking through the fire. And yet there is that little glimmer of hope, that little seed that's like God really is who God says God is. Mm. Um, 
is enough, enough for me. And so as I've been praying for my own kids, trying to pray for them to love God and love their neighbor as themselves. Right. So it's like praying for them to love God, praying for them to love neighbor and praying that they would love themselves Mm. means so much to me. And so I thought, well, maybe I will start, I'm a writer. My background is in journalism. And I thought maybe I will process my own prayers and offer them up and maybe they'll resonate with somebody else. Maybe they'll Mm. resonate with other parents who are going through, you know, a variety of other challenging um, things. So I created just a little Instagram account in early 2020 before we knew what was coming down the pipeline, (laughs) before we knew the world was about to change. And I was thinking parents are in a hard spot then, Mm. let alone now. And um, other parents seem to say like, hey, me too. Like I haven't known what to pray for a long time. Like Mm. how do we pray when our child um, comes home shaking because they went through an active shooter drill. Like what in the world, how do we even put words to the headlines Mm -hmm. that we're seeing? Um, So that's just one small part of the book, but yeah, that's a really, really long answer to how I got uh, keyed in. But you know, the, the thing is, is that the book, so that people know this, doesn't just address um, prayer in extreme circumstances. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, yes. So people don't need to buy this book simply because it's like, yeah, I got so much crap going on. I right. need a prayer for when the, you know what hits the fan. Mm-hmm. It's right. Really, it's got prayers for the first day of school. Mm-hmm. Right. It's got so and there's like, I don't know, 100, 150. There's like a ton of how many are there? Yeah, there. Yeah, there's more than 100. Honestly, I lost count. So but I think that was important to me to find the sacred in those ordinary mm. moments of our actual lived experiences together. And like going on a walk with a child can be such a deeply spiritual experience. Mm. And, you know, like reading a book together, celebrating a birthday. I mean, there's just so many moments like we really believe that God is in all things, then everything we do, everything we say, everything we are Mm. can be a prayer. And I think we often like put all this pressure onto ourselves to to say the right thing or have the right formula. And I hope that this collection is an invitation uh, for people to take some of that pressure off and like, see, like we're already having a conversation with God in our every day and, mm. and, and even our actual breath, you know, yeah. that our breath alone can be a prayer. Yeah. All right. So now she's into my wheelhouse. Yes. Isn't she? Yeah. There's a great quote by, I think it was Julian and Norwich, but I'm not sure. Um, Love her. All right. I mean, what's not mm-hmm. the like, but it's something to the, I think this is a direct quote. Um, it is the madness of great love to see God in all things. Mm. <laughs> It is the madness of great love to see God in all things. That's beautiful. And I'm with you. Mm. Like, sadly, well, not sadly, it's just a differentiation, right? There's, I think there's two kinds of religious imaginations. There's a Catholic or what I might call a sacramental imagination. Um, and then I would call the the Protestant imagination. And so it sounds like you have migrated to a more sacramental imagination, meaning in the Protestant tradition, uh, oftentimes the perception is, is that the world is empty of God's presence. In other words, we live in a fallen world, a sinful world. Um, 
God's presence periodically bursts through, like uh, with Jesus and the cross, maybe whatever the list of things that you want to come up with, but then kind of goes away. And then we're, mm -hmm. we're left in a world absent, right? A, a world of divine absence. Whereas the Catholic or sacramental imagination, and when you read the poets, Catholic poets and authors, right, is all about the world is brimming or shot through with grace. That yes, when I, when I hear that, I get goosebumps. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and I think about Walter Brueggemann and his prophetic mm -hmm. imagination and this kingdom breaking mm -hmm. in right now. And we get to see that. We get to see right. that in the way, you know, my three-year-old looks at a rainbow mm -hmm. or like when I see, you know, a neighbor's friend like float up their like shoddy car to drive off to college and like they're brimming with this this new hope and this new beginning i mean mm -hmm. i really feel like god is god is all around us you know uh people can get squirrely around me when i say this but you know people who are a little bit more conservative or traditional in their viewpoints about theology um but i always say christianity is an enlightenment religion and they are always like, what? And I'm like, mm -hmm. you should be, we should be praying and moving toward enlightenment. Meaning, if Jesus is the light of the world, and our goal is to be consumed by that light, filled, consumed, um, then we are essentially moving toward enlightenment. And that enlightenment would be characterized by an increasing perceptive palpable awareness of God's presence in every circumstance, mm. person, creature, um, mm. everything in creation would be a signpost to that far off country. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank I didn't know you. I was going to get like a whole sermon, but I'm here for it. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Oh, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just pre-ordered uh, to light their way. Right, oh. just now. Just now, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. You just Thank moved you. up the numbers on Amazon. Come on. I can't wait to Amazon read this. Amazon bestseller rank just to pray this. Yeah, I have three children of my own, so I'm looking forward to oh. this. I love that. All right, so in the book, you say that if we ache for transformation for our children, mm -hmm. we know it starts with us as parents. Mm -hmm. So how does a mom or dad begin that transformational journey? I think that prayer is inherently very transformational. Like a lot of times I used to think as mm. prayer as like God being this genie in a bottle and very transactional. So it's like an if then type of thing. Like if I just pray enough or if I say the right words, but I've instead started realizing that at least in my own life, prayer is really this conversation and an act of listening. Um, I like to talk. I like to say a lot of words. I like to write a lot of words. But when I enter into prayer, um, and it's it's a practice because I don't, it's not my natural inclination to listen. But when I do listen, I am transformed. And when I do pray, sometimes I start praying for things that I don't even like no was like on mm. on my heart or something I was holding. And so I do think that we are transformed through prayer. And I mean, so many other things being awake to the world, right? Like if we want our kids to be kind, compassionate, empathetic humans, but we are not kind, compassionate, empathetic humans that, I, that we're not like setting them up. We're not giving them um, a gift of being a neighbor in the world. Mm. Well, I love this. Kayla Craig, author 
of the remarkable new book, To Light the Way, a collection of liturgies for parents. I want to urge everybody to do as Anthony did. Mm-hmm. Hop online, go to Amazon, pick yourself up a copy of To Light the Way, a collection of liturgies for parents, and probably uncles and aunts yeah. and people who have friends who That's have right. children. Buy a bundle and pass them on. Pass them on. Yeah. That's what I say. Pass on the light. How Absolutely. do people find you, Kayla? Well, I'm, I'm all over the interwebs. So you can go to <laughs> KaylaCraig.com. You can learn more about me there. Um, I do share prayers, breath prayers, and short liturgies on liturgies for parents on Instagram. And then I just kind of share my own spiritual journey, um, reflections on, on culture and faith and justice at Kayla underscore Craig on Instagram. And I want to make sure everyone knows how to spell that, Anthony. Yes. Uh, it's K-A-Y-L-A Craig, C-R-A-I-G dot com. And everywhere else she said Kayla Craig, just remember that that's how it is spelled. My name is Ian Morgan Cron, and I've spent my whole life spelling <laughs> it after saying it immediately. I don't even wait. Yeah. Immediately. Kayla, thanks so much. Preemptive. Yes. Preemptive spelling and pronouncement. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, listen, Kayla, thanks so much for being on Typology. This was great. Yeah. This was lovely. Thank you so much. What a great way to spend our afternoon. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Everybody in Typology land, thanks so much for listening. Remember these words. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.